Don't you ever take for granted the privilege of getting to go to church. That's under attack. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The bullpits this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very fascinating subject to cover today. But first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform in which you're listening to us upon. We have several social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to like our Facebook page, the fan page that we have there. All you have to do is type in at Our Mighty Fortress. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. That's where we host the media. You'll find articles and videos and even our merch store app where you can help support the work. If you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through the established PayPal link. If we've also helped you in some way through our work, please tell us at OurMightyFortress.com. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about when people dance with the devil. And it has to do with the call to revisiting psychedelic drugs for recreational and medicinal use and for the Western world to legalize such practices. The call derives from the use of various psychedelic substances over the last couple of decades and their apparent mental healing properties. The call is not coming from some drug addict on the street, but from medical professionals who are seeing actual intended results. This, of course, will clash with current laws and even ethical concerns. There's also famous figures such as Joe Rogan and others who often talk about their experiences using psychedelics. There may be many who aren't very educated on this topic, so I'm going to handle it very carefully. And I do want to break it down into two podcasts with two sub points in each and give you each aspect of the issue in a fair way. First, we're going to look at the history of the various psychedelic substances to help better understand where they come from, and why they do what they do. We're going to see their use throughout the rest of the world. With this, we're going to look at how the brain operates normally and then how it operates under the influence of psychedelics. Secondly, we're going to look at the use of psychedelics against what psychiatrists currently prescribe as medication for patients. Thirdly, we're going to analyze people's experiences while under the influence of these substances. I believe their stories and the results of their visions will start to clear up the cloud of ethics surrounding this topic, especially for Christians. 
This is not something new, but it does involve practices that do go back thousands of years and the communication with real devils. Finally, we're going to analyze the one true and living God and what he thinks about the subject and how Christians should handle such. We will look at different passages in the Christian scriptures dealing with witchcraft and the use of psychedelics later. We're going to analyze what I think these beings are and what I believe the end of all this is going to be. Not only will you have a clearer picture on what to believe about this topic, but how to advise those who are searching for spirituality. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The human brain is something that is absolutely amazing, yet it's still shrouded in mystery today. There is still so much that the scientific world just does not know about the human brain and how it functions. This is especially true of the study of consciousness. As one famous philosopher had said, quote, if you ever want to lose your tenure, study consciousness, end quote. He said that because such a study will only take you down religious paths because science can't explain why people are conscious. So they just try to stay away from the subject altogether. Now, the average human being has what's called the default mode operating their brain network. This is a tightly linked set of structures connecting the prefrontal cortex to the posterior cingular cortex and to the deeper centers of emotion and memory. This is where we have the ability of self-reflection, theory of mind, go from various mental states and being able to understand time. Well, what are psychedelics? See, the word itself can be broken down into two parts. You have psyche, which means mind in Greek, and delos, which means make visible. They revolve around various chemical compounds, to which the most popular is dimethyltryptamine, otherwise known as DMT. It's also referred to as the, quote, spirit molecule, due to the intense psychedelic and religious experiences. These chemicals allow the mind to see what they could not previously see before. These people go on trips that can last anywhere between 30 minutes and up to four hours, depending upon the source of the drug. It is interesting to know that the body naturally produces DMT. That's fascinating. Scientists actually believe that this may be the source of dreaming when we have our REM sleep. It seems that most of the DMT is found in the lungs, though science doesn't really understand why that is the way it is just yet. DMT can uh, be found in mammals, and there are many plants that produce it as well. In fact, many ancient cultures around the world, from the Americas to Africa to Europe and Asia, were able to figure out how to use various plants containing heavy dosages of DMT. That, in fact, is very fascinating. Normally... To gain the effects of DMT, it has to be inhaled through smoking it because if you ingest it, the stomach has a way to actually switch off the DMT. There have been cultures centered around the Amazon jungle that have found a route that counters the stomach's ability to do this, thus being able to ingest DMT for more potent results. Within 30 seconds of the use of DMT, the user is catapulted that seems to be the average description for what happens through a visually immersive kaleidoscopic labyrinth of vibrant and shifting geometry. They are then pulled into a seemingly 
otherworldly dimension where they will exist in a realm of space that was previously unfathomable to the mind. The subject seems disembodied from his or her physical self and forgetting their body even exists. Actually, the very common expression is that they feel like they've died. We see such practices, especially in religious ceremonies, for divinations and healings. This was done for thousands of years, and it's quite fascinating in how people were able to figure out these psychedelic properties. You have to ask the question, how, in the vastness of the forest and jungles around the world, and the various plants and the combinations that people were able to figure out what allowed them to ingest or smoke the DMT to be able to have these trips. How do they figure that out? Especially given the combination of certain plants and roots. It's really easy today, given modern science, to know what certain chemicals do, but we're talking about ancient mankind. I believe there's more involved that modern science doesn't want you to know. There are many religions that are based around those who were under the influence of psychedelics. For instance, you have the Oracle of Delphi from 1400 BC to around 381 AD. It was the medium from which the god Apollo spoke. There were supposedly gases that arose out of the ground in the temple. And there are certain combinations of gases that supposedly give uh, psychedelic experiences. Then that's just outside the use of plants, obviously. Well, inhaling these gases or whatever not allowed the oracle to have the power of these visions. Well, it was reported in 2001 in the August issue of Geology that two faults uh, intersect directly below the Daphonic Temple. The study found evidence of hallucinogenic gases rising from a nearby spring and were preserved within the temple rock. Scientists aren't actually completely sure about it, but they think that that might be the source of what allowed the oracles to do what they were able to do. Essentially, people came from all around the area to hear, hear somebody that was tripping on gases. There is more evidence that the blue lotus flower of the ancient Egyptians is how they communicated with the lowercase g gods. It is said that they drew what they saw from the spirit world and those drawings in the pyramids and ancient temples will depict those images. Even the shapes that they draw on the walls match the visions of many today. So that's very interesting. It also may give us a clue as to what the, some of the demons actually look like if you really think about it. But more on that later. Scientists don't entirely know how the psychedelic experience works. What they do know is that DMT goes after a specific spot on the brain, the serotonin 52-alpha, and it agitates or excites the receptor site. This will increase its activity and lead to a cascade of effects. The default mode of the brain takes a back seat during this time or, or just goes quiet. It almost seems as though the brain is like let off the leash. That seems to be the common description. Other parts of the brain that do not usually communicate are now talking to each other during this time. After DMT use, there are a reworking of neuronic roadways on a subject's brain. 
The new connections are perfectly synchronized in areas of the brain that didn't previously communicate. It's almost as if your brain actually knew how to do this, but it had been forgotten. Now, that's absolutely fascinating because as mankind has degraded through thousands of years of history, we like to think that we've gotten bigger, better, better, smarter. But in all actuality, we are degrading or we're falling apart. It would actually be amazing to think how the brains of Adam and Eve worked in the original creation and what they were able to do. It's probably part of the reason why it almost seems like the human brain isn't in full use today. So I wonder what full use would look like if you go back that far. It's pretty fascinating to think about. This actually leads us to the second part of our study, and that's the medicinal use of psychedelics. The use of psychedelics was very minimal in the rising of the Western world. And in the 1800s, scientist Sir Humphrey Davy would record his inhaling of nitrous oxide and its psychedelic effects. He said, quote, My visible impressions were dazzling and apparently magnified. I heard distinctly every sound in the room. I lost all connection with external things. I existed in a world of newly connected and newly modified ideas. With the most intense belief and prophetic manner, I exclaimed, Nothing exists but thoughts. The universe is composed of impressions, ideas, pleasures, and pains. End quote. Someone had asked him what his experience was like, and he tried to give it this comparison. He said, quote, You were now in a state in which a fly would be whose microscopic eye was changed to one similar as that of a man, and you were wholly unable to associate what you now see with your former knowledge. End quote. A fly has a very multifaceted eye, and if it were changed to a human eye in all of its detail, Davy was saying that it wouldn't know how to process the renewed vision and details compared to what it previously knew, had known. In 1938, the chemist Albert Hoffman accidentally discovered the psychedelic LSD while working on experiments. Later, he absorbed some of the chemical through his fingertips and he went home tripping for the next couple of hours. This caused him to go back and do a number of new experiments as to what was happening to him and the side effects. He was also the person to isolate, synthesize, and name the principal psychedelic mushroom compounds psilocybin and psilocin. Once this discovery was made known, there were rumors of the Soviets using the substance as a brainwashing element. This caused even the U.S. Army, yes, the U.S. Army, to experiment on soldiers to see if this was true. This experiment was later picked up by the newly formed CIA to use on the American public. <laughs> These experiments took place from 1955 to 1967. This was disclosed in a part of unclassified materials of the CIA's program called MK Ultra. It's actually pretty fascinating what the U.S. government decided to do to the people during this time, and you could probably argue even in our modern time, but that goes off a different direction. There's an excellent article you can read about this done by Time Magazine called, quote, The Legacy of the CIA's Secret LSD Experiments on America, end quote. This almost seems crazy if the government was to do such a thing, but that's only because we kind of grew up in a society that trusts government way too much. <laughs> Ultimately, there was a lab leak and LSD got out for 
public consumption. During the 1960s, you had the hippie age, and the use of LSD became very popular. Ironically enough, this led to President Richard Nixon pushing for the Controlled Substances Act of 1970, or the CSA, which banned the use of LSD. This war on drugs was supposed to be out of concern for public safety, though it does make you wonder where such a concern was when it was being experimented upon American people by the CIA. But setting that aside for another time. As psychiatry began to rise during this time, and after over 50 years of research, the question of whether the use of psychedelics should be still illegal arose. Since the war on drugs commenced, the first event that sparked this supposed psychedelic renaissance was the use of MDMA, known as ecstasy. This assisted psychotherapy for treatments of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, and uh, many other supposed mental illnesses. This study took place in the United States and eventually broadened with MDMA, LSD, and psilocybin. Psychiatrists had to create inventive ways to work around the CSA in order to do their research. One psychiatrist said, quote, The mental health system in the Western countries is so focused on management of mental issues rather than actually healing them, end quote. As a person goes through the mental health system, they need it more and more instead of needing it less and less. The use of psychedelics was promoted during this time to supposedly help those whose brain was stuck in a loop and of what they could not get over. Psychiatrists are stating that it can be used on people with mental and behavior habits to depression, anxiety, obsession, substance addictions, and even relief from an overactive ego. Then you have science journalist Michael Pollan that states, quote, People don't realize how lousy the tools we have to treat psychiatric illnesses and how many side effects they have, as well as how hard they are, they are to get off of. Antidepressants, for instance, affect the same exact area of the brain and the serotonin receptor. Instead of binding it and exciting their receptor, they regulate it and cause harm to the tissues. Psychiatrists around the world are saying that instead of the current methods, psychedelics should be allowed to be the final solution for clients that are critical and that are suffering, used for clients that cannot find alleviation from their pain. There is no evidence of addiction to DMT and has been in fact used to treat those with addictions. Now that's interesting, and we'll talk more about that later as far as the positive and negative effects. Generally, when people think of somebody taking LSD or some other type of psychedelic, we think of some dark room at a rave and not really for medicinal uses. So you have to ask the question, since this experimentation, what has been the results? There have been reports of depression and anxiety being gone for six months or more after one use. Even used upon military veterans and the first responders with PTSD, they found that 68% of them no longer reported PTSD symptoms. Studies with psilocybin-assisted therapies have reported success with treatment-resistant depression where other treatments had failed. Major differences reported for at least six months after one treatment. Over 80% of those who had a smoking addiction quit after the use of psychedelic treatments. I, it should be noted that many fix their problems while others relapse. This actually gets into a completely different subject about the actual power you have to change. Is it really the drug 
or is it your brain? Is it your choices or is it the DMT? Some things to think about. Also, there's a flip side of this, but there's not quite as much evidence as far as an overall result. All we do know is that at least one out of five have a bad trip. This is where the DMT user will have a terrifying experience instead of the promised euphoric experience. There are actually very good reasons for this, and we're going to talk about that in the next podcast because it has to deal with what they see. In an article written by Medical News Today, they state that there are many risks involved while using DMT. They state, quote, DMT is a structurally related to the neurotransmitter serotonin, and because of this, a condition called serotonin syndrome is a potentially lethal health risk associated with its use. Individuals taking antidepressants are at the highest risk for this complication. See, serotonin syndrome occurs when the body accumulates an excessive amount of serotonin and has results of agitation, confusion, high blood pressure, loss of muscle coordination, and even headaches. Higher doses can cause seizures, respiratory arrest, and comas. When you take DMT orally, like with ayahuasca, there will be vomiting and diarrhea. Now, this is very interesting because there have been people who have gone down to the Amazon to have these ayahuasca ceremonies, and they don't come back because they have adverse reactions to the concoction. Now, there are many who will say, well, it's the shaman who, who did that, who didn't mix it right or whatever, or, or just because, hey, it is a drug, and drugs affect people all differently, and yeah, it's a danger, and yeah, you shouldn't have been doing it in the very first place. I mean, this is very well known among those who take trips down to the Amazon. There are still many questions to ask, but the brain can only take so much information at one time. We did go through a lot with this subject, but the question that emerges is if psychedelics are okay to use medicinally. You can listen to many YouTube and radio personalities and they'll have nothing but positive things to say about their experiences. As a Christian, though, can this be used medicinally to help a condition you may be dealing with? I would say that the devil, pun intended, is in the details. We have to start taking this subject very seriously because even the Veterans Affairs is officially experimenting on controlled DMT studies. At Loma Linda VA Hospital in California, an experiment was open to veterans that had PTSD or other illnesses. They were to undergo a controlled DMT trip in the hospitals to treat their symptoms. Now, I'm not saying that this is okay to do, but we seriously need to stop laughing this off as just crazy talk for druggies. This type of psychedelic use, it has been going on for thousands of years. And the Bible has several instances where this was in relation to witchcraft and he, they, it talks about it. Well, next week, we're going to analyze people's experiences and what takes place during their visions. This will be very important. We're also going to look at the divine beings that they speak to, and we're going to have to analyze that moral question about this subject, and guess what? As we do, it'll become a whole lot clearer. We'll begin to follow up with examples from the Christian scriptures of what is considered witchcraft and sorcery. Like I said, this subject of talking to spirit beings is not new, and ancient peoples were fully aware of the world and spirit beings around them. The next part we get into might get a little scary listening to other people's stories, but buckle up for the ride because the truth will emerge. 
I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Take a look at our website, ourmightyfortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content, and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.